Thank you, guys. That's uh, been in the middle of a series. I say middle of a eh, third week. I think. I guess we are. The mosaic. We shared with you last week the logo we've taken now, and you see the pictures on it, and hopefully that makes a little sense of what God is doing here. We believe that there is a beautiful thing that God does when things, especially when they're allowed to be broken, and the cross becomes the bridge. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what stage of life, no matter... God can heal. He can bring it back. A few of the ways we do that here, I just want to mention that one is benevolence. As you get to leave today, I just pray that you would uh, be able to help us with that. That is something that we do here inside renovation mainly for folks that are struggling in other areas or financial areas from rent to car issues to whatever it may be, we really try to use that to to help our folks. Uh, Sometimes maybe it's an electric bill, something where it's just a little harder that month, and we try to use that. So if you would help us, that's one of the ways, again, as a mosaic, we we carry each other, we lift each other up. You can put that in the boxes in the back. I'm not even sure there's an actual box there. You can put it in the other box that's back there, and we'll find it. How about that? We will find it. I promise you that. The other thing that we're doing, there's a couple other things we're doing, but one of them we're doing, I'm excited about as part of the mosaic of of renovation, is an online directory. How many of you remember being in a directory, church directory, years ago? And about two weeks after that, your picture looked old and you moved. And okay, we waited for another four years for Olin Mills to come back around and update it, right? I mean, that's kind of how we did it. And I'm not saying they were wrong. I mean, God bless that effort. But there's a new way to do it. And one of the ways we're going to do that, and the reason why we are here, because, again, as you know, we wear name tags here to remove a layer, right? We try to remove a layer so you can be in community. Another way we're trying to do that is through an online directory. One of the things I'm sure you get concerned about real quick is, and we talked about this as a staff, is that we are in a world today where everybody wants, they're concerned about their privacy or security, but we're probably more exposed than we've ever been. We intentionally expose ourselves. But somehow or another, there's this weird thing going on where we want to be private, but we want to be public. And it's a weird thing to try to figure out. But what we've tried to do is at least walk that line with what we're going to do with our online directory. You've got a form today. We're going to ask you to fill that out for us. And again, we're just sticking with email. Uh, well, you can see up there names, email, uh, age, if you're willing to admit whatever that is. Okay. Then, uh, and also the, both the adults, and then you put your children. We will put them kind of in order on the, on the, to age, but we won't put their ages, interest, those kind of things, and then zip code. So you'll kind of know where these people live. So if you wanted to connect with them for some reason, that maybe they're in their, your area, and you go, hey, I, there's some common interest here. We're asking you to help us. That's kind of what it will, not kind of, this is what it will look like. I think we've got a picture there. There's Kent and Gina. Yay for Kent and Gina. They're not in here, so I can make fun of them even if I want to since they're not in here today. But you'll see there uh, uh, the, the names, and, and, and I don't know why we have the addresses over here. Those will not be shown, but they're actually up there right now, so don't look at that. Uh, those will go away. Those will go away, I promise you. Uh, but here, this is how it will show up with Kent and Gina. You'll see their, 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 address, I mean, their zip code, their emails, and then 
their, their common interests that you might want to take advantage of. What we're doing today, we're taking pictures over in the, after dinner on the grounds, inside the scene, which is the youth room. But let me say this. Walk across the room is part of who we are. We talked about that last week. Name tags are part of who we are. We talked about that last week. This is another opportunity for you to get to know people at renovation. I realize, and, and I realize if you're only kind of still figuring out whether you're going to be here or not, this is probably not for you. But these are for people who said, hey, this is our home. This is where we're investing. This is where we're locking in. And this would be for you. And there will be a passcode, just so you know. There will be a passcode to get into it. Only people who have, will get a passcode who are part of renovation. It's not going to be out there for public view in that sense. You'll have a passcode to get into it. I'm correct about that, right? Okay, just want to make sure I'm not lying to you. That's what that's about. So we're excited about that, right? We're excited, right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. I, yeah, yeah, about four of you are excited about this. Okay. Last week in talking about the mosaic, we talked about intergenerational. Let's see that picture if you would. I loved it at the end to have the five generations here and the conduit of handing that the conduit, AC, an alternating current, that conduit goes both ways. We both, we both have that ability to carry. What's conduit for? It's to protect, right? It's to protect. We're not the power. We're just supposed to protect the power, right? of what God can do between generations. And I, I just appreciate the folks who stood up here, but I also appreciate inside of this room of the generations that are represented and how God's going to use that in a mighty way. Today we're going to talk about how God uses marriage inside of the mosaic we call the church. And I realize that for some today, as I talk about marriage, it won't be as easy as it is for other people. I get that. And I'll try to do everything I can to not you walk out of here today and feel like I beat you up. That's not the point. Because I know today there's people here who want to be married that have never been married. I know there's people been here who've been married. And, and for whatever reason, and whatever reason, they're no longer married. And for some, I know there's some in here today who have lost spouses along the way and, and to, to, to passing away. So I know today when we talk about subjects like this, it's not very easy. But I'll tell you this, we are going to talk about parenting next week, singleness the week after. So I know the mosaic, it's all of it. We've got to talk about it. No, we, we have to talk about it. We have to talk about what that looks like within, a, within a, a body of believers and how they can benefit each other. That's the key, right? It's not just the fact that we attend and we hang out together. It's how we make each other, we lift each other up. That's the key. Genesis 2, 15 through 25. I'm going to use the message because I just like it better the way it reads, even though all of them are good. But I love the way it reads here. And if you've got your Bible, I just encourage you to take that out. But So what is marriage? Verse 15, chapter 2 of Genesis. God took the man and set him down in the garden in Eden to work the ground and keep it in order. God commanded the man, you could... You can eat from any tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. Okay, I like that. You dead. God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, a companion. So God formed from the dirt from the dirt of the ground all the animals of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he saw see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. The man called, named the cattle, named the birds of the air, named the wild animals, but he didn't find a suitable companion. God put the man into a deep sleep. As he slept, he removed one of his ribs and replaced it with, with flesh. 
God then used the rib he had taken from the man to make woman, presented her to the man. The man said, and I love this, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Name her, name her woman, for she was made from man. Therefore, man leave. That's what I want you to hear today. Two things. Finally, that's the good one. Therefore, man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife. They become one flesh, the two of them. The man and his life were naked, and they felt no shame. The man embraces her. Finally. See, by the time Eve was created, Adam had already named all the animals, right? I mean, he'd already done that. And, but I'm going to guess, and it's kind of like I think sometimes what happens inside of a church like this. You don't know something's missing till you have it. You ever had that? You don't know what it's like to be in a fellowship of people who really are doing what we're trying to do here at Renovation because you never knew, or you were never a part of it before. So you didn't know it was missing till you were in it. And I think that maybe is what's happening with Adam. He knew something was missing, maybe. He knew something wasn't right. He knew the animals he was naming were, were, was not his companion. That was not it. So something was missing, but he didn't know what was missing, right? That's what I'm going to guess. And, I, I, and if what I like about the finally there, because I think about him and, you know, naming the animals, he starts out with words like rhinoceros, hippopotamus i mean he's aggressive he's he's a then he ends with yak you know what i'm saying like okay i'm tired okay start getting these little short names you're just going but then woman then eve finally finally See, one of the things that Adam and Eve didn't get a chance to do, they didn't get a chance to date for a long time, become friends. Let's mix them with other social people. How are they going to be with our in-laws? They didn't get that chance, did they? One thing Adam and Eve knew was that marriage was God's plan. They knew it was a gift from God. They couldn't have created it themselves. And he was so awesome that he created them in such a way, by gender distinction even, physically, emotionally, personality, all God's idea. It was God that said, you shall leave your mother and father. You shall leave them and become one, procreate. It was God's idea. It was his. I mean, it's what the word says. Marriage was a gift. I'm not sure how many of you today may be coming here and looking at marriage as a gift right now. A gift that you still cherish. 
And one of the things I think in, in many ways the church has done, which has crept over into marriages or marriages started doing and crept over into the church, is that over the last many, many years, we have, in, in church, we've tried to become more relevant and more deliberate, so trying to be more whatever in culture. But one of the problems with that is, is when we do that, it becomes so much about me instead of about us. When we cater to people, when we cater to their needs, Marriage has become that way in so many ways. I think marriage at one time was more about us. It was more about us lifting everything up. But somewhere along the way, it became about my needs. We've always been self-centered. Don't misunderstand me. But over the last 50 to 60 years, it's become about me. And what is the church? It's just kind of followed along, hasn't it? So we've created churches where it's more about me. What are you going to do about Me. It's the reason why it's so easy, isn't it, just to leave a church and go somewhere else and go do something else instead of just saying, hey, how about us? But it's about me. And because of that, the, the, the effect of that is we've lost our salt and light in culture. We've become just like the culture, and I believe we're supposed to be distinctive. I believe Christian marriages should look stunningly different than other marriages. They should. But so we don't want to look too out of kilter, what do we do? We want to blend in. And let me say this. about marriage and what I believe God created in the beginning. Marriage is so honored and blessed that the Christian marriage signifies to us the beauty and mystery of Christ and his church. This mystery, as we read in Scripture, and we could read the Scripture, most of you already know it's in the room, about Christ the groom and The church is the bride. And no matter how a culture tries to redefine marriage, it can't redefine it. It's always going to be what it was intended to be. I mean, Jesus comes back in Matthew 19. Comes back like he was going somewhere, but he's talking to the Pharisees. 19, 4 through 6 says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That was the intention of marriage. But also the intention of marriage was to uplift culture. Marriage is never about just one person. It's never just about you as a couple. It's always done in the ripples of what happens in your marriage. It's never done in a vacuum. So what does that look like then? Why then, why then is marriage so important in the mosaic that we have here at Renovation? Or any church. 
I believe one. I'm going to give you a few points here, and you can do with it what you wish. wish. I don't think I've said the word point in years in a sermon, but I'm going to, I said it, so I'm going to stick by it, okay? Why is marriage important as a part of the mosaic? Because I could come today and to, and to speak to you about marriage itself, just in itself, and I hope you're going to get that out of here. I hope it helps you in your marriage. But also in this series, we're trying to also say, but why does it make a difference here? Why does your marriage and how you live it out, if you are married, why does that make a difference inside of this group? Why does it make a difference to a 15-year-old? Why does it make a difference to a 35-year-old? Why does it make a difference? One of them is this. The first one, I'm not necessarily any order. It's the power of a promise made and kept. The power of a promise made and kept kept. If you fly a lot like I do, or I fly often enough, isn't it easy to listen to the flight attendant give all the instructions about if we have a plane crash? Okay, we all have heard it how many times? And most of us think we would know what to do, but the reality is we've heard it so many times, I'm not sure we ever really listen and it soaks in anymore. I'm concerned that being the way it is with the Christian vows or the vows that are made in a wedding. We've heard it so many times, right? It's just what you do. It's the tradition. It's this verbiage that we use. I take thee to be my wedded. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better or for worse. For richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. You break that down in bite size. See, marriage is more than an event or an emotion. It is the giving of oneself to another for their highest and best welfare. I don't think the vows could be any more extravagant than what they are. And I'm really going about to talk some of you out of getting married, I think, about what I'm about to say to you here, okay? Sarah and Jason are over here. I'm sorry, I'm about to blow your whole thought about marriage up here. It's about giving away your freedom, huh? You know, there's a lot of things in life you have no control over. You know, what family you're born into, what part of the world you're even born in, what social class. We don't choose our kids even when we have them or vice versa. They don't choose us. Uh, Like I said, we don't choose our parents. We don't choose our siblings. But in marriage, you are choosing by your own free will to join yourself to another and give up your independence. Crazy. As far as our nature's concerned, right? Because we're mostly self-centered and self-focused in marriage. If it'll work right, if it's healthy, it deals with our self-centeredness. If it's working right... 
It breaks our controlling nature that I got to have it my way. Marriage is about submission. Marriage is about laying down your life for another. Men, marriage is about you loving your wife as Christ loved the church, willing to lay down your life for them. Marriage is really dying in an awesome way. Because what you gained from it. You know, we talked about the... uh, I know it's probably not the best place to use this illustration. The Belgian horses last week. A Belgian horse by himself can pull 8,000 pounds. We don't have the pictures up here. I forgot to do that. It's actually, not even my notes about what I'm about to tell you. Two Belgian horses together don't just pull 16,000 pounds. They pull 24,000 pounds. And if they are trained together, If they're well-trained together, they can pull 32,000 pounds. No, not just two coming together, doubling it. It literally can make it four times that. That's what I think marriage is. You don't just give up, man. You you not only gain and double, you gain exponentially. It's a picture of what it could look like when you come working together. But these vows... Vows, promises made and kept. You know, I, I got out this. I got out this morning. These are my. These are the, this thirty-two years old now. I don't know. If Jan still knows I even have them, but I, sometimes I go back and look at them and go, "Okay, did I mean all that?" You know, my brother-in-law did the wedding. I think it took about seven minutes. Apparently, how long it took here, but I, I, wow, the vows. And let me say this about keeping the promise, not just making the promise, but keeping the promise. You don't do this again in a vacuum. Those promises you make are not just about you or your spouse. It is about everybody that's connected to you directly and indirectly. It's about your children that will be born into your home. It's about who you work with. You know what? I believe this with all my heart. If you've got a healthy marriage, you're going to have a better workplace. People will know it. And what sets the Christian, to me, marriage apart is not as it just not about you. It's a representation of Christ and the church to the world around us. So if Christian marriages are not strong and healthy, it's a representation of potentially what Christ and the church looks like to those people. I can't separate it. Again, I believe a Christian marriage should look stunningly different. Than the other marriages. You say, well, I know people who are not even Christians who are are happy. But I guarantee you they're still working on God's principle of marriage. And we worry about sometimes that marriage is, uh, 
going to go by the wayside. There are people fighting for rights to get married. They see something in it. Maybe we don't live into what we, the original design was, but there are still people fighting to have it. See, I believe this. There's a lot of things I believe, and I know I keep saying that. If the church focused on one thing and got marriages operating on all four, eight, or 12 cylinders, whatever the car is, I don't know we'd need to do much more outreach in our community because I think if the marriages were healthy and strong and doing what they were called to do and representing in that world out there that we live in, wherever you go and whatever you do, the sacrificial love that Christ calls us to, if we were doing that, I'm not sure how much outreach we'd ever have to do because you'd be transforming the communities you run into every day because the anointing and the power of the symbol of a Christian marriage which represents Christ and his church because of a promise made and a promise kept. Now, I realize there are times that has to break. I realize there is, there's circumstances from abuse and, and, and from adultery and a lot of other things that happen along the way that can break that. But let me say this, that does not change. And Christians can get divorced at the same rate as everybody else, but it still doesn't change the purpose of marriage, no matter what's going on there. It still doesn't change the purpose of it. That's what I hope you're hearing today. I realize there's circumstances. And I realize there's statistics. But it doesn't change what would happen if a promise is made and a promise is kept. And the covenant that comes with it. Another one I would say is the power of a shared journey. Why, again, is marriage so important inside of the community, the mosaic? Part of it is, I believe, we're all at different stages. So we've got something to learn from everybody else. Even if you're 15 to to, to 55, it doesn't matter. I I know in this room today we have what would still be considered newlyweds. We have some that are engaged, obviously, I've already mentioned. Newlyweds, we have some in here that have come today that are raising now. Their children are still small. Some have teenagers Some, no doubt, are divorced in this room. I get that too. Some have kids only in college now or at that stage. Some are empty nesters. Some are grandparents and elderly. Some are widowed. I'm going to ask you real quick, and I'll see if we can pull this off here real quick. Uh, How many in here have been married less than a year? Would you stand if you've been married less than a year? There you go, guys. Yeah, good job. Good job. You can have a seat. You've been married one to five years. Would you stand? One to five years. There you go. There you go. Hey, I'm back there. All right. What about six to 15 years? Have anybody here been married from six to 15 years? What about 16 to 25? 16 to 25. There you go. Thank you, guys. 26 to 35? Jan, stand. There you go. There you go. 35 to 50? I know we got some. There you go.
Even if your spouse has passed away, I'm just going to ask you, you can stand on this too, uh, or 50 plus. How many of you in here were married 50 plus years or have been? There you go. All right. All right. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. I started to get the conduit out, but I think it had taken too long. Okay, but my point is this. We all are at different stages, right? There's a lot of journey that's been lived. And I'll be honest with you, most of us don't want to hear about all the things you've collected over the times. We really don't want to hear about all the things you've accomplished. That might come at some point. We don't necessarily want to hear about all the toys you have. What we want to hear is how you overcame. We want to hear about when it was tough and you wanted to quit, that you didn't quit. That you got up and you kept going. That's the stories that move people. Because we may not ever be able to collect all the things you've collected. The man alive. Those stories of inspiration, those stories of saying we were dead in the water and God overcame. That's the stories that lifts the room up. That's the stories that lifts the mosaic up. It's those stories of saying, of what it's like in those years, and some of you are experiencing that right now, where your spouse may have Alzheimer's or dementia. You know what it's like to lose a spouse. To whatever tragedy or disease. You know, one of the interesting things, people say you, when people pass away, they can't take things with them. Well, they do. Because if they're valued in the home, they took something with them because they knew you, if you're a team and you became one, they took care of certain things and you took care of something else. They take something with them. They take experience. They take knowledge. And it's hard. It's not just hard when a spouse passes away because of all the obvious things, but also something is taken from you that you don't know how to replace yet. It may take time. I know what it's like, and Jan and I know what it's like and to, 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 to know when you get that phone call and say, it's cancer. We know what it's like to lay in bed at 3 in the morning and just hug each other and cry ourselves to sleep. We know what that's like. We do you know what it's like to continue to walk it out and find out that God will allow you to love your spouse more than you did when you, before you got the phone call, that God really can't expand your capability to love someone that you thought you already was so far in love with anyway? I want to share those stories, man. I want to encourage you. Yeah, we wanted to give up at times. Yeah, we wanted to... But God did, and God can. I love what Russell Moore says. He's talking about what it means to gather at a wedding ceremony. He said, and so when we are gathering together for a wedding, we have a gathering of witnesses. The people there aren't just guests at the party, even though this now, let me say this about, let me hold that right there. Nowadays, People get upset if the food's not good enough, okay? That embarrasses me. Jan and I had peanuts, mints, cake, and punch, okay? That was it. And I think we've done just fine, right, Jan? I'd go back to that in a heartbeat, okay? They aren't just guests at the party. They are people who are witnessing the vows that are being made with the implicit message there. 
We are representing the body of Christ to hold you accountable to these vows, to help you through through these vows, to support you as you seek to keep these vows. A couple starting out a wedding, frankly, don't know the vows that they need to make without the rest of the body of Christ and those who've, been, who've gone before them. A 25-year-old couple, they are not thinking about Alzheimer's disease. They're not thinking about what happens when we find out that our small child is dying with cancer. They don't think about what happens if, if one of us commits adultery and we have to work through the aftermath of that. The rest of the body of Christ is speaking of the fact that the vows you're making to one another aren't simply when things are in in conditions as they are right now, and it's not simply when things, are, when things are in condition that you can imagine right now, but it's in sickness and health, for richer, for poor, till death do his part. These are the sort of vows that ought to be made. That's the kind of weddings we need to have. It's surrounded by people who said, you know, those vows you are making, and first off, we need to help young people and older people understand what vows they are making. That's the first thing. And secondly, they need to be a body of believers to say, we're going to help you figure this out. We're going to be there. That's why we need to be in the church. I'm not sure, even that intergenerational, I'm not sure. Or as a matter of fact, I'm pretty confident there is no other organization can do what we do at the church if we're running on all cylinders. Nowhere else. Nowhere else can what the church can provide to a community, nowhere else can it be duplicated when it's healthy and strong. Nowhere else. The power to confront and grow. The power to confront and grow. That's key. Oh, all of us like to confront, don't we? We don't mind confronting. I say all of us. A lot of us like confronting, confront, confront. No, confront and grow. A safe place. I'm not talking about the political things you hear on the news. I'm talking about a safe place. Sometimes we as Christians avoid confrontation because we're too nice. I would say to you it's because we're too wimpy. (laughs) I think it's like peroxide on a wound. It begins to clean it. It allows the parties to move forward in a spirit of unity. In a marriage or in a church, if there's drama, it needs to be dealt with. In the right way, obviously. And we need to go to great lengths to make that happen. I love what Joseph Greeny, we've talked about it a lot, and we'll be teaching on it hopefully in the fall about crucial conversations. Greeny says this. says, you can measure the health of a relationship, team, or organization by measuring the number of undiscussables. Crucial conversations can become an acceleration of intimacy. Did you hear what he just said? Crucial conversations become, can become an accelerant for intimacy. And I ain't talking about the physical. Don't go there. I'm talking about deep knowledge in a group of people. When crucial conversations are held well, we don't work around the truth. We work through it. Crucial conversations are the core of a healthy culture in a family, relationship, ter- church, or team, or organization. One of the things I hear over and over in marriages over the years is, well, they got divorced over money. How did you get there? How did that become? And we all know mostly most divorces, somewhere along the way, either one or both parties are self-focused. That's what the divorce is all about. If you just really want my opinion on that, I can almost trace it all back to self-centeredness in some way. One or both parties. 
But one of the things, and I say, how does that apply in the church? Well, I think it's got, got great application inside the church because I believe that's part of the deal about pulling the load together here. It's generosity. You know, in a marriage, there should be generosity. There should be this. And generosity is not how much money you give. It is a spiritual condition. You could give all the money in the world and still not be generous. Generosity is, is deep. It goes deep to the roots of your soul. I, I'm under the conviction that we've not taught that enough here at Renovation. That we've not taught you that one of the greatest, we, if we, and I love what I think it's McManus that says, if we don't reach people where they are giving freely financially, we will never reach their full potential. Never will. I'm amazed, and I want to thank you, though, those in here who give faithfully, regularly, and you give 10% and beyond. I'm going to tell you right now, they're, they're, and people say a lot of times about millennials and younger people, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the reasons this church is here is because young people are stepping up. I, I, it is powerful to see what young people are making the commitment by faith. We can say, well, they don't do this, or they don't. I'm telling you, millennials are stepping up in this church. I'm just telling you. Yeah, it's 10%. Like I said before, who would want to belong to an HOA where only 40% of the people paid? Or go to a gym where only 40% of the people paid? And this, you're visiting this Sunday and you go, man, I should not have come this Sunday. God bless you. We do lunch for free, so if that makes any, that any consolation. Jesus was very clear about this. He spoke without reservation, why don't we, of the importance of getting to the root. Instead of looking, going, what would my 10% be? And look how much that would be. And you should be saying, man, if, it, if my 10% is that much, look how much I get to keep. Wow. And I realize there's a lot of other things you can give money to out there, and there's great charities and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to tell you right now that I believe with all my heart the local church, like Bill Hybels does, is the hope of the world. It is in the local church. If it's going to make an impact around the world, you can do all the other ones, and they're supplemental. That's it. But I'm telling you, the local the church is the hope of the world, and it should be looking like the bride of Christ. And it should be pulling the load together. And we should be able to have those conversations instead of backing away and being scared to talk about even like money. It's in the home. I see it. I'll tell you this. I hear a couple sometimes where one person controls all the money. I watched it. Jane and I have watched it in our own families at times. And I know it's old school. That's the way it used to work. I can't imagine Jane and I having our own separate accounts. That makes no sense to me. Because we're one. Sometimes I have to take her credit cards away from her. No, I don't. I have never done that. I have never done that. I'm just kidding about that. I have never done that. But we have to have conversations because at the end of the day, I'm still responsible for paying all the bills, and we've got to have the conversations, right, around the room. And we've got to go, okay, this is where we are. Obviously, that's different because we've got a goal, and we've agreed on it, and we're trying to get somewhere. But inside the church, You know, Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees, Matthew 23, he said, you give a tenth, that's good. He said that you've neglected justice and mercy. 
and faithfulness. Well, I believe that's a condition of the heart. But Jesus goes on to say, practice the latter, which is the tenth, without neglecting the former. See, I believe when a heart's changed, generosity follows. I love what Seth Godin says. I don't have the quote up there on this one. This is not the same one. Don't put it up there yet. Seth Godin says, and he wouldn't necessarily refer to the church. He said, small communities of interest and connection are still the most dominant force in our culture. When a group of people come together for a common cause, unbelievable things happen. And it's all of it. Generosity of time, generosity of talent, generosity of finances, it's all. And the last one of this is the power of transformation. The power of a transformed life. Show, if you would mind, showing the picture of Jan and I on our married wedding day. Yeah, I heard the groans and whatever that was there. Uh, play the song too. I know you've been moved by. Yeah, Cool and the Gang was at our wedding. We brought them in. That was our song, wasn't it, Jen? It was awesome. <laughs> Cherish. But put the picture back up there. Let me say this. The man Jer- Jan married on that day, October 12, 1985, was not the man she should have married. But I've done everything I can for the last 32 years to become the man she should have married. By the power of the Holy Spirit working in me and me, the resurrection of a Lord and Savior who who prompts me to love her like I never thought I could love anyone. And it's allowed me to love in other ways. I wasn't. Show another picture. It's a little, I think it's a little better. Yeah, there we are, a little better there. A little more gray, but a lot of things changed on the inside. Folks, I don't know what stage you're at in your marriage. Transformation will continue from day one. If if the wedding day is still the highlight of your marriage, you're in trouble. Okay? I don't care if you've been married two months. It's transformation, man. It's it's the the seasons of life. It's the shared story. It's what God wants to do in you. And, And I'll say this to you right now. You may be looking at this going, well, I can't make them change. It's not about you making them change. Let God change you. Who can you become? Let God worry about the rest of it. Walk faithfully. Living by faith is just not taking risks. Living by faith is walking faithfully. That means you've got to step up. And you've got to start examining. One of the things I love about what we're doing through Uncommon, and I love the fact that Sarah and, and Jason, I've been picking on them, they have gone through Uncommon before they get married, and it has been awesome to watch what God is doing in their lives through part of that. And that's not all of it, obviously. God is through prayer and a lot of other things. But I'll tell you what, here at Renovation, if you want to get married and one of us is going to marry you, you've got to go through Uncommon training. We're trying to shorten the curve. Your, your learning curve. 
But all of us, don't all of us, you know, we've heard it a lot this week. We all come to this wedding, this marriage thing with pre-existing conditions, don't we? Don't we? We all do. Some of us are very fortunate. We were raised in a certain way by a certain loving, some of us, not so much. We all have pre-existing conditions. (laughs) And we all marry by faith. The key is, will you allow God to transform you? You may not have been the person the day you got married that that your spouse should have married, because you can become that person. You can become that person. When it's all said and done, the bride of Christ is the greatest hope for the world. Christian marriage signifies out there what should be happening in here. God put it in motion from the beginning. It wasn't just an afterthought. It was in the beginning. Jesus reiterates that later on. In the beginning. And I've done many a wedding Some of them have been tough because some of them didn't last. And I've changed my approach on how I do weddings, I'll be honest with you, because I just have. But one thing I'll say about this, every wedding I've ever done, when those double doors open, that single door opens, and you see that bride for the first time in that wedding day, they ain't no ugly bride. <laughs> with all of our scars... And with all of our faults, when the local church is working right, we are a beautiful bride. And someday we will be presented as a beautiful bride. With all of our dings, with all of that. Promise kept, promise made and kept. Shared stories, shared journey. Willing to confront and grow the power of it and the power of transformation in people's lives. We're going to take the time now to do another thing we do here in community. I'm going to ask Josiah to come on up. It's to share in the Lord's Supper together. Again, what I love about baptism, the two sacraments we, we follow and in in, in recognize... One is baptism. It is a symbol of marriage in so many ways. It is the coming publicly to say what's already happened in your heart. A wedding is to come say publicly what has already happened between two people and to make that commitment for a life. And and baptism is that symbol to us in so many ways inside the church of that dying out. You know, I talked about that in the wedding. <laughs> Dying out, being raised anew. But I am his and he is mine. And I will follow him all the days of my life. Baptism. Communion of the Lord's Supper. It's a symbol of how much love Christ had for us.
that he laid down his life. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. One of the most difficult things for many of us, we would say, oh, I'd take a bullet for my wife. My question is, would you be in Romans 12, 1 and 2, a living sacrifice? To live for him. For them. That's really the question. A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable act of worship. Marriage matters. It matters in your own life. It matters inside of this body here. It matters. It matters. Would you stand with me? As we come today around the table, let me give you a little bit of logistic just in case you're here for the first time. We ask you to come down the aisles here to my left and right turn back to the center you'll come down, you'll take the bread dip it in the cup, take of it here and then return to your seat if you would until we close in prayer to Christ on the night that he was betrayed he took the bread and broke it this is my body he took the cup this represents my blood that is shed for you that every time you take of it you do it in remembrance of me so we do that today we pray for us and as you feel led to come today if you feel led you don't have to sure no pressure we'll ask you to come and partake together as a family but you can take of it here or you can carry it back to your seat but you can take of it right here too we pray for us Father we thank you today for the representation of what a groom should look like and Lord we're trying to become as the bride what the bride should look like Lord we have a lot of challenges to get there wow Lord you made us a promise that you would never leave us you would never forsake us You made us a promise that you would send one through the power of the Holy Spirit to live this out. And Lord, we stand on that promise today that you are faithful. Lord, we pray today that we would be found faithful in all that you've called us to do. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the institution of marriage, the gift of marriage to your people, to a culture, to a world. Maybe they don't recognize you in that, Lord. But we just want to today and say thank you. Help us, Lord, as we partake now for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Come as you feel led.